So sometimes I have not, maybe because I'm there's reporting different things on the news or maybe, well, I guess COVID, there's no travel. Um, sometimes on the news you used to see if the president or the secretary of state or some maybe European or maybe American politician would go and travel to the Middle East. They would get off the airplane and there'd be a fanfare and they'd have not, not Far East, not China, but this is Middle East, Middle East areas. And uh, where they might have a band, an oompa band and flags waving and they're all excited that here comes this visitor. And in the midst of it, and they, they never draw very much attention to it. You got to kind of watch for it and you catch it. There might be some, probably a lady all dressed up and she'll have a plate of bread. And there might be another lady standing next to her and she has a plate of salt. And in, this goes back, you guys, like this goes way back. This goes back before Christ. This goes back before David even, that sometimes these Middle Eastern areas would, salt and bread was a sign of closeness and it was a sign of uh, welcoming. And it was sometimes they would even make covenants over bread and salt. And they would swear by bread and salt and different things like that. Some of this goes all the way back to when Abraham meets with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes out of nowhere and he's a priest of the Most High God. He's just a really curious, cool thing that happens in Genesis. And Abraham has just won this giant battle and he gives Melchizedek the priest bread and wine to welcome him. And he gives him a whole dinner and they eat together and all this. But the, the Bible specifically mentions the bread and the wine. And, you know, some of that would turn into other cultures into bread and salt and uh, bread and water sometimes. So even at the very minimum sign of hospitality is bread and wine, bread and salt. And so when the Passover is established, God's telling the, the Hebrews, you're in a big hurry. You can't take time. You need bread for the journey because just bread is essential. But you're not even going to take time to let it rise and make it. And so that's why we have unleavened bread, these hard little crackers. So at the least, you would have unleavened bread. And it's pretty awesome that that would go forward. And then Jesus would sit with the disciples and they would eat the Passover meal. And the Passover meal, you guys, you would get totally stuffed. Like not the original Passover, but celebrating Passover. It's like Thanksgiving. It's like Thanksgiving, and then your grandma says, you haven't eaten hardly anything, have another turkey leg. And then you get another. And it's like, where did this three-legged turkey come from? I'm stuffed. They just keep coming. That's how Passover would be. But Jesus didn't take the whole meal. He took the bread and he took the wine. He said, this is a covenant. This is a new covenant. And he broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. He could have called out all the cool things about the whole Passover meal and how it all pointed to him. But it all came down to just the essential thing was the bread was his body 
broken for us. And the wine was the blood of a new covenant poured out for us. And I love, I love how simple Jesus makes that. Because later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, so he is talking to the Corinthian church. Corinth was so far away from Jerusalem, guys. It was culturally different. It was miles and miles of travel different. You had to get there by boat. Uh, getting there by land was too dangerous. To this completely different group of people that were so unlike the small town Boonville dudes that Jesus had the Last Supper with, You've got the big city of Corinth, and Paul brings it all back to the same basic thing Jesus brought it back to. This bread is my body broken for you. This cup is the blood of a covenant poured out for you. And Paul would say to them, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes again. And so... Remember, you get your bread out first. Open up the open up the bread part, and then you open up the wine part. These guys. So as we eat and drink this today. We are proclaiming that, yes, in fact, Jesus died. And we get to do, we get to proclaim that Jesus died for our sins until he comes again. And this is part of that activity. So, God bless you as you eat his body broken for you. And God bless you as you drink the blood of this new covenant that he made. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy and wonderful. And we praise you, Lord, that you would save us from our sins and that you would make it such such an easily accessible thing that all who call on your name would be saved. That we don't have to be born in a certain town. We don't have to trace our ancestry. We don't even have to climb up any certain hill and do any certain thing, but just calling on your name and having faith in you saves us from our sins. And you take them upon yourself and cleanse us. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. Amen. week we were in 1st Samuel 24 remember David was hiding in the cave Saul came to the cave and David spared Saul's life and he said why are you trying to kill me I'm not trying to kill you leave me alone quit chasing after me and uh, so chapter 24 chapter 25 and chapter 26 
If these were a series on Netflix, they would show up as part one, part two, and part three. Because these three are all a little piece of one other big story. So these three chapters. So I know we've been going chapter by chapter and this is all the life of David and it's all totally awesome. But this little section is like a single episode slice out of this. All right. So when we lived in Central Asia, we had a car. And the police, we, it was, when, the, when we lived there, it was the ninth most corrupt country in the world, you guys. Like Haiti and Congo, that you hear like super corruption, they were up on the list higher. But we were, we were ninth. And sometimes you would get pulled over by the police if your car was dirty. And they would threaten to give you a ticket. And then if you gave them a dollar, they'd be like, all right, forget it. And then go on your way. And I had a hard time with that too, because I didn't like to pay bribes. And instead I'd stand there and talk to them for a half an hour and wear them out. And then they'd send me on their way without their dollar. Then the other thing that would happen is you'd go to the mall, kind of like a mall, and there'd be these boys everywhere. And they'd all be, I mean, Younger than Levi. They had all, all these boys all around. And there were these ditches, these cement ditches with running water. All the, the wastewater, like not sewer water, but like faucets and sinks, right? All this water running. And you'd park your car and all these boys would come up and they'd say, Wash your car, sir. Wash your car, sir. They didn't really know English, but they knew how to say, Wash your car, sir. There's one word. Wash your car, sir. Wash your car, sir. And you. And when I first got there, I was like, well, this is stupid. They're going to wash my car with this water coming down the curb. It's going to end up dirtier than it is. Then one of my buddies told me a trick. He said, if you get a boy to wash your car, he will wash your car. But then he will stand by your car and make sure nothing bad happens to it. Because if anybody steals anything from that car, it's his fault. If anybody opens their car door and scratches your door, if anybody runs a key down the side, it's his fault. And you're, he thinks you're going to blame him. So get the dollar car wash whenever you see these kids. Uh, uh, I say a dollar. It was their currency, which was like 30 cents. So then I was like, okay. So then I'd go to the mall. All these boys would come up, sir, sir, because I had this big old, I had a big Dodge Caravan, the only Dodge Caravan in the whole country. Seriously, the only Dodge Caravan in the whole country. Like, it was driving, like driving the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. Like, everyone knew us. And it was white, so it showed dirt instantly. And they said, sir, can we wash your car? Sir, can we wash your car? And I'd say, you, one dollar. He'd be like, yes, I'll wash your car. And now all of a sudden, I know this kid's not going anywhere for the next half hour. I go in, do my shopping, I come out. It's as dirty as it was when it started. It got washed with gutter water. I mean, it's whatever. But that kid is there, and he is showing off. Oh, sir, I washed this. Because he needs to justify why I need to pay him more than a dollar. Because the price went up while I was in. He didn't know I'd be gone so long. He missed out on all these opportunities to wash all these other cars. I learned more language from these kids than from my language teacher, because they would just explain all this stuff to me. I'd give him a dollar fifty or whatever. He'd thank me. I'd thank him, and he'd go on his way. 
So it wasn't about car wash at all. For me, it was about building relationships with all these kids on the street, and it was about keeping anybody from breaking into my car. Hmm, what does this have to do with anything? Let's go see. So 1 Samuel 25, you get one verse. Poor Samuel. The whole book is named after him, and his death only gets one verse. Samuel died. All Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. This is important because how did we hear from God for the last 25 chapters, right? It was all through Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges. He was the one that told it, that always spoke from God. He was, sometimes remember they mentioned a man of God came and said this, or a man of God came and said that. There, we had the whole uh, ephod and the Urim and the Thurim thing that happened last time and all that. But this is the main way Israel has been hearing from God. And that time is now over. So now something new, something new really has to happen because Samuel's gone. Then David rose up and he went into the wilderness of Paran. There's a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Don't get, don't panic, just keep going. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Remember Saul, when Saul came after David, he had an army of 3,000 men. So Saul was powerful because he had 3,000 men. This guy is rich because he has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the, wife, the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. This is funny. Badly behaved is what the ESV says. Um, you may actually have a translation that says was foolish or was a fool. Because this whole chapter... If we, if we really knew Hebrew and we were reading it all in Hebrew, we would be laughing our heads off. We'd be, we'd be snorting up here laughing, thinking about Jim looking like an octopus in his lazy chair. Because there's so many jokes in here, you guys, about Nabal. Because Nabal sounds like the word fool or idiot or knucklehead or, you know, fill in your bad word for a stupid person. It's also kind of a slang term for a wineskin. So if a dude really drank a lot, I might tell him, you know, that dude is like a keg. He's like a walking keg. He drinks so much. So Nabal, Nabal's name means he's a fool, but he's also like a cask of wine, a wineskin. He's so dumb. He's like a walking brewery. That, get all that into your head. Because that's what you would think of. If we were reading this and we mentioned what his name was, you'd be like, dude is dumb and just sauced. I mean, he is really... I'm trying to get all these slang terms, but I don't have all the right slang terms. So, so pick your own. That'll keep you out of trouble. Uh, so he is rich. And it is sheep shearing time. And they go and they shear all the sheep, 3,000 sheep. And they sell all the wool. 
And so he is just has tons and tons of cash. This is like um, a farmer that you know, grows soybeans all year long and finally brings in the harvest of the soybeans and sells the soybeans at the market and gets this great deal. He makes almost all of his income in that one event for the whole year. So Nabal is loaded. He's got all of these sheep. They've all been sheared. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Oh, Nabal, we know him. All those sheep, dude had like, he must have had 2,998 sheep. No, he had 3,000 sheep, so many sheep. And David knows about him and he knows about all of his sheep. So there's, there's going to be some stuff that's not said in this chapter, but we're going we're gonna to deduct it some. So David hears about this. He sends 10 young men, and David says to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Here's how you greet him. Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace on all that you have, Nabal. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing at all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, ask your shepherds, and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So David's like, okay, you guys, listen. Nabal just cashed in 3,000 sheep's worth of wool. He is loaded. We have been in the wilderness and we have been all around. You know that guy that had all those sheep that we were always camping around? They're, they're his sheep. So remember how David was moving from bad place to bad place and he was in the Engedi fortress and all the caves and all that business? And then he was, now he's in sort of the wilderness in between. Wherever they've gone, they've been around Nabal's 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And they've helped protect them. Because the other thing that's going to happen is if you're out watching your sheep, you have wild animals to contend with. But if you've got an army of 600 men camping around all of your sheep, those wild animals aren't going to come anywhere near your sheep because they're afraid of the, the army of 600 men, right? If there are thieves, if there are people that are coming just to steal... They're not going to come steal sheep when they have to get through a wall of 600 men. And these are David's men. So remember who these guys were. These guys were guys that were in debt. They were guys that had been committed of crimes. They were grumpy. They were cranky. They were uh, felons. These were guys that wanted to drop out of society and go hide. And they were fighters. So are you going to cross that crew to go steal a sheep? I don't think so. So David is saying, Nabal is really rich right now. If there's any time he's going to be generous, it's going to be right now. And we never took one of his sheep, and we never bothered any of his shepherds, and we took care of all of them. So go ask and see if he'll just give us a little blessing from that. Because we're starving out here in the wilderness. We're just kind of living off of whatever we can live off of. This is a funny little test because the guy's name is stupid wineskin guy, right? 
But if he's ever going to be generous, it's going to be right now. If he's ever going to be generous, this is why um, I have friends that have been waiters and waitresses and they love to be waiter or waitress at this casino because people just lose any concept of what money is at the casino. When they, you know, they go win a thousand dollars and they came with 20, they're just like, yeah, tip, 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 tip. And they leave tips all over the place. If If at any point Nabal is going to be like that, it's right now because he has so much money. He's so wealthy. See if you can just spare. Notice that David didn't even say, he didn't even put it in an order, right? He didn't say, give us a sheep so we can slaughter it and kill it. He says, will you give us whatever you have at hand? Show favor to my young men and to me and just give us whatever you have at hand. Do you have any leftovers? Do you have any, you know, just give us something. So they go. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? So this is mocking. Who is this little boy? Who is this little kid? Who is this little kid of Jesse? I don't even know who Jesse is. I don't even know who David is. We know this isn't true because remember all the women sang songs that Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. Uh, We know that he knows about David and Goliath because that went all over the place, all over the countryside. David's been working for Saul for years at this point. Uh, Nabal, as as a member of the kingdom of Saul, would know that Saul gave his daughter in marriage to his daughter, Michael, in marriage to David. So there's a lot of ways that he would know this is this is David. He knows who David is. Oh, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There's a lot of servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? I don't even know who you guys are. Whoa. So he blows them off. He doesn't even send them away with enough provisions for themselves. So I talked about it before. This is a book by Keith Heffley called The Hesed Factor. And this is an older edition, which I can, anybody can borrow if you want to borrow it. Um, this book talks all about Hesed, which is God's loving kindness and his grace and his mercy. And how God shows us hospitality at his own expense to take care of us. And that Hesed shows up all over in the Bible. And when it shows up and someone violates it, very bad things happen to them. And this is one of those moments. You know, Jesus told the parable about somebody came at night and they didn't have any bread. So they ran next door and they said, I have guests. I have guests and I don't have any bread. And they're banging at the door and that's how we should pray. And Jesus tells another parable about people showing no hospitality and no care. And and so it will be terrible for that city because they didn't welcome him. All of this has to do with this hospitality, this Middle Eastern hospitality, this Middle Eastern. At the least, you could give somebody bread, bread and salt, right? Bread and water. You're going to sustain them a little bit. Nabal doesn't even do that. Nothing. So they come back and they tell him all this. And David, 
He is mad. It's like, everybody, get your swords. Every man strap on his sword. Every one of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. Oh, that's such a great detail. Why in the world would you have 200 men stay with the baggage? Well, because the baggage is important. But it's likely that their baggage is going to get stolen if they leave it in the wilderness. If they need 200 men to stay behind and protect their baggage, it's dangerous in the wilderness, which just shows how much David and his men have protected Nabal's flocks from other bad people. That just shows what a rough neighborhood it is, so to speak, right? If the neighborhood's so rough that David's going to leave a third of his men behind to guard their stuff then they've been operating in a place that's really dangerous and you really need to protect your stuff. Which just shows how much they've done for Nabal that he's never lost one of his sheep, he's never lost one of his goats, he's never been harassed by any of his men. Wow. So this happened. We don't know how big Nabal's army is. We don't know how many people he has. We don't know how many shepherds he has. He probably has a lot of shepherds. He's got 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. But he has this wife named Abigail. And one of the young men that heard the men from David come and talk to Nabal, Nabal sent him away, one of them heard that and they go and they tell Abigail. This is a terrible chapter to read when you're doing a marriage growth Sunday or you're talking about how to have a strong marriage So, save that for another week. (laughs) Abigail made haste. They told her, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he yelled at them. But the men were very good for us, and we suffered no harm. We've never missed anything when we're in their fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us by night and by day, while we were with them, keeping our sheep. So now there's a guy speaking up. Hey, something bad is about to happen because we owe these guys Hesed. We owe these guys hospitality. They have shown Hesed to us. They could have stolen from us every day. We would have been powerless against them. Know this and consider what you should do. Harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that nobody can talk to him. Can you imagine an employee going to the boss's wife? Your husband is just worthless and nobody can talk to him and we're all about to die. Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, five seas of parched grain, that's like a big bag of grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them up on donkeys. This is a feast, you guys. Whoa. She said to her young men, go on before me. Go, go, go. I'll come after you. She did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. There's another translation that says she met them hiding in a ravine. So these guys are still hiding. As they're traveling around, they're still not getting out in the open because they're still afraid of Saul. And 
In contrast, here's Nabal, who's like rich and on top of the mountain and celebrating and all this business. She sent them five, did you catch that? Five sheep. So now Nabal has 2,995. This did not even make a dent in the sheep that he has. The cool thing about the bread is it's instant sustenance. You can eat it. The cool thing about the figs and the raisins is this is road trip food. This is stuff that they can take with them to eat, that they can eat tomorrow, that they can eat the next week. So she's not just giving them food for their feast. She's sending them on. Like, okay, you guys, thanks for coming. Here's a whole bunch of food you can take with you. Go get them. She comes, she meets them. David is still mad. In vain I guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness. Nothing was missed. Nothing that he lost belonged to him. And he's returned nothing but evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David and more. If by morning I leave one man alive who belongs to him. So remember how David was in the cave and he was ready to kill Saul. And he said no. And his men were mad at him. David is not a wimp. David is not, I don't want to kill Saul because what bad, what something bad happens. He's honoring Saul. This shows he is really tough. He is not afraid to just lay this whole place waste. He's going to kill everybody. He's going to take all the stuff. And he could probably do it too. He's that, he's that strong. Abigail shows up while he's, come on, you guys. We're going to kill them all. She falls down from the donkey on her face. She bows down to David. She said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak. Hear what I have to say. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name. She says, he lives up to his name. Don't heed, my, don't heed this man. Isn't it wild that she says this man? She didn't say my husband at the beginning. Pay no heed to this man. He's a wineskin and he's a fool. Let the guilt fall on me instead. Whoa. Now then, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving by your own hands. Abigail frames this, this whole thing as, I have come to you with all of these gifts, and this is the Lord giving you a chance to not seek revenge. Remember a couple weeks ago, how much we talked about revenge and how we leave it to the Lord. When the Lord does revenge, the Lord does revenge so much better than we ever could. At this point, Abigail presents to David if you try to work salvation for yourself, if you try to have revenge for yourself, it will be a sin against God. Wow. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil, let it all go. Let this present that your servant has brought, my Lord, be given to the young men who follow you. 
Forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, she's talking to him, a sure house. She says, God is going to make you, David, into a house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life your life will be bound in the bundle of the living care of your God. And the lives of your enemies he will sling out like from the hollow of a sling. Alright, we got to talk about all this. She says, if anybody that pursues you, you will be kept in this safe little pocket of the Lord. You will be kept in this little pocket of life. And anybody that opposes you will be slung out like from the sling pocket of a sling. So shepherds, you know how you have backpacks? You go to school, school day, you get the cool backpack and it's got wheels on it. And you got all these cool pockets in it. And you're like, I don't even know what these pockets are. And you go to school and you're like, oh, that's a water bottle pocket. Oh, that's a pencil pocket. Oh, that's... So shepherds typically had two bags on them. And one bag would be your food, and it'd be your stash, and it'd be your raisins and your dried out fish, maybe a little bacon. No, that was a joke. It'd be your dried out sardines, and it'd be a little bit of bread and some figs. Then you had your other pocket that was rocks. So when you're hanging out and you're goofing off and you're watching your sheep and you see, oh, that rock would be excellent for my sling, you pick it up. Because only an idiot picks up rocks for his sling when a bear is coming at him, right? You don't want to wait until then to pick up the rocks. So you got this little pocket. Well, wait a minute. So you got a little pocket that's your life-giving pocket that's got your bread and your figs and your sardines. And you got your pocket that's death, right? That I'm going to pull my ammo out of here, and this is what I sling. She, Abigail's just absolute genius. She's like, David, may you be kept. Whenever somebody attacks you, you will be kept. You'll be kept so close to God, you'll be like his little pouch of his food. That's how, how you'll be hidden close to him. And may all of your enemies get the ammo. May all of your enemies feel the shells, right? Like bullet shells, not seashells. And he relates to that. She is speaking his language. Because, I mean, he lived as a shepherd, right? He knows. Cool thing about this. She says this whole thing. When the Lord has done to my Lord all that the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord will have no cause of grief or pangs of cautious conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for myself. Wow. She's saying when you're king, you won't feel guilty about killing all of Nabal's people. If you spare us, this is God giving you a chance. So she just said all this stuff. She talked about when he's going to become king. She talked about how the Lord's going to protect him. Half of what she said is going to turn into Psalms. Eventually, oh, spoiler there. So the ancient rabbis classified seven women in the Old Testament as prophetesses. 
And because of this line right here, they call Abigail a prophetess. Hold on to that for a minute. So Abigail prophesies to David. She prophesies this blessing on him. She talks him how to not, out of not working salvation for himself. She says, take the guilt upon me. Let me be the guilty one. Wow. David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and bless you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. There it is again. Thank you for saving me from trying to save myself. Wow. So when you see this whole change, when you see somebody say, I will take the guilt for what has been done wrong here. And by taking that guilt, I save you from trying to save yourself. Isn't this what Jesus did for us? Didn't Jesus take all of my sin and now I'm free from trying to work out my own salvation? Because if I try to save myself, I'm hopeless. I just work out the salvation that he bought for me. So he says, this is awesome. This is the first time David regards the Lord in all of this. It's kind of like when you're in a really bad mood and somebody says, just pray. And you're like, I didn't even think about praying. And then you start praying and you totally get out of your bad mood and you bring the Lord into your situation. So he goes in peace. I've obeyed you. I've granted your petition. Thanks for the figs. Abigail goes back to Nabal. And he is having a feast. He is drunk out of his mind. He is eating up all of his money that he just made. He's feasting like a king. This is such a great line, you guys. Who's the king? David's the king. And here's this fool wine bag feasting like he's the king. And who, what is David feasting on? David is feasting on Nabal's sheep right now. Abigail comes to Nebel. He is happy. She says, I'm not going to talk to him right now. I'm not going to tell him what went on. So in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, hmm, his wife had told him these things. So she waited. Some people read this and they read that uh, she waited till he was sober in the next morning. Right? Remember, the guy's name means wineskin. What good is a wineskin once it's emptied? It's no good. You don't refill it. You don't reuse it. You throw it away. And so the wine has gone out of him. He is more worthless than ever right now. His wife told him these things and his heart died within him. And he became like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Wow. The news comes And it's like judgment came of of he realizes, I mean, in some ways he realizes how he violated Hesed. He also realizes his wife just totally went behind his back and saved him. All the power of salvation in this house isn't in him, it's in his wife. And it's also the Lord. The Lord bringing judgment on David's enemies, just like he said. And so what happens? Oh man, when David heard that Nabal was dead, what? 
He said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. This is where you really start to grasp, wow, for Nabal to tell them, no, we don't have any bread for you, was a huge sin. This was a huge, huge bad transgression uh, for him to do this. And it was bad enough that when he died, David would say, the Lord avenged me. So it's not just like, hey, we asked you for some food and you didn't give us any. There's a deeper, this whole code of honor and, and care and generosity and greed and selfishness is all playing here. And how awesome is it that David does not have Nabal's blood on his hands? Because all of Nabal's employees, they all knew Nabal was worthless because that one dude told his wife, your husband's worthless. All those guys are going to be able to go on and carry on their lives. And they're going to be able to change and be better without Nabal instead of all being killed by David. So he... David praises God for this. And then he sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. So there's this whole other thing. It's not just, hey, she's pretty and she's really smart and now she's available. I'm going to marry her. It's if you're a widow, if you're a woman and your husband dies, you've got no one to take care of you. And you'll probably get taken advantage of. And so to prevent this injustice from happening, because Abigail took care of David, took care of Nabal, Abigail took care of David. So now David is returning this favor to take care of Abigail and to look out for her and offer protection for her. So he takes her as his wife. But wait, she's a prophetess. So not only does he gain a smart and beautiful wife, but now, with Samuel dead, he's got a prophet on his side in Abigail. Because she hears from the Lord and speaks from the Lord and speaks blessings from the Lord. Servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel. They said, David has sent us to you to take him up as his wife. She rose, bowed with her face to the ground, said, I am your handmaid. I'm a servant to wash the feet of your servants. She does not presume that she's going to be queen over this house. Or that she's going to take anything over. She's just thinking she just got rescued. She got rescued that she's not going to be abandoned as a widow. Does that make sense? I will serve you whatever. I'm at your service. She rose. She mounted a donkey. She got her five young women and attended her. Uh, there's some ancient sources that say if Nabal had 3,000 sheep, she should have had 50 women. Because she was so rich. She only has five, so that points to either Nabal was really tight or she was really humble, that she didn't need all that flim-flam, which is kind of cool. She brings her five women along and comes to David and becomes his wife. So now David has a beautiful wife that's super smart. She still has all that property, so he gets all the 3,000 sheep and the 1,000 goats in the end anyway, and whatever... Nabal owned. He can have all that, but he doesn't mention using it, so he probably gave it to all of Nabal's people. And he gains a prophet. 
the rabbis say that Abigail continued to prophesy and to speak words from the Lord to David through the rest of their lives, the whole time they were married. Which is really, that's why I say all stuff she says turns into Psalms. It's probably true that she would speak on behalf of God to David. David would write it down in Psalms in prayer. And then we get all that. Well, remember if somebody's dead, that their widow needs to get married. This is where we get the last verse. And then you get to learn more things. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel. We don't have a story on that. And both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael his daughter, the girl named Michael, that she gave to David, he gave to David to be David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galen. Which means they all think that David's dead. If David's dead, they're going to take his wife and make sure she's looked after and she's not a widow and marry her off to somebody else. So in this whole scenario, it's, there's a couple little one verse things that mean a whole lot. Samuel died, so they no longer have a prophet. <gasps> it's all right. You got Abigail and she's married to the king of Israel. <gasps> but everybody thinks David is dead and his wife, Michael, is married off. But they have all these provisions, all of his 600 men. They now have 3,000, no, 2,995 sheep and 1,000 goats and a whole bunch of figs and a whole bunch of raisins out in the wilderness. I'm going to stop. What will happen next? No. Uh, it's awesome how much is in here that is a story, but it's, it's showing off Jesus' character. It's showing off how God wants us to live and function today and, and not walk with vengeance and to, to have these generous hearts of hospitality and, and welcoming and forgiveness and to praise God when He fights our battles for us, right? And give room. Um, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave room for God's anger. If I'm always trying to win salvation for myself, I don't leave any room for God to save me. But if I, if I rest in Him and I let Him do His work that He loves to do, He loves to save us, then He does it and He shows off. Alright, let's pray. Lord, we praise You. We thank You that You would work in the real lives of all of these people to show off Your character and Your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would move in us, that we would, we would have hearts after you, that we would seek after you and desire you even more than our own lives. And that we would see you work, Lord. We would see you work salvation for us, save us from things. And um, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't need any vengeance, but that even that, that you would show off in that and that you would uh, fight our fights for us. And show us how you win, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 281.